Kevin Markwick. Noddy Holder and um, the bloke with the fringe. The funny, archy fringe. Is he Dave? <laughs> From 1971, Slade, Cause I Love You, which was um, immensely popular at the time. I certainly liked it, and I was only nine. 
I said that in a real DJ kind of way, mate. Hello, it's Kevin Markwick here again. Uh, we're up to 1971 in our trawl through the cinema of the 1970s. So that would be show two then, I guess. Unless you're one of those pedants that goes, I do believe the uh, 70s didn't start until 1971, Kevin. Yeah, but well, you can bog off. And it's, it's been, I have to say, an interesting trawl through quite a lot of dross. It's amazing cinema survived, really. It's not the way to sell the show, though, is it? Uh, we got stuff from Disney, of course. Uh, that bloke. Carry on films, lots of those. There's some good stuff. Nick Rowe, Ken Russell. There'll always be Ken Russell. I will find a way to get Ken Russell in all the time. And even the railway children. So loosen your flares and uh, pull up a, I don't know, what would you have pulled up? A Triumph Dolomite. That's ah, really tenuous, isn't it? <laughs> okay, it's 1971. Oh yeah. Apollo 14 lands on the moon. Rolls-Royce goes bankrupt. And then Apollo 15 lands on the moon. Tells you how groovy it was over here. Although we did go decimal. And I still actually do remember old ladies complaining, I don't understand this new money. What's not to understand? There's a hundred pence and a pound. Not 14 groats in a blat. Seriously. Uh, at the same time, the posties all went on strike. Don't know why. That's what it told me on the internet. That could be why. Uh, Arsenal did the double. And Walt Disney World opens in Florida. And the Academy Award for Best Song went to this one, Isaac Hayes for Shaft. Aimed at African-American audiences in the US, but surprisingly popular down here in provincial Sussex. Go figure, I don't know. They usually uh, featured all the usual cliché characters. Tough cops, hookers, pimps and drug dealers. Just like the bench outside Oro Preto. That's an old Uckfield person joke. Other black exploitation films, Superfly, Cleopatra Jones, Trick Baby. This one, though, was the granddaddy of them all. Featuring a strong central hero, played by Richard Roundtree. It was spawned two sequels and a pointless remake in the 2000s.
who's the black private dick that's a sex machine to all the chicks? You're damn right. Who is the man that would risk his neck for his brother man? Can you dig it? The cat that walk about when there's danger all about. Right on. They say this cat shaft is a bad mother. I'm talking about shaft. He's a complicated man, but no one understands him but his woman. Isaac Hayes, Shaft, from the film of the same name, which actually went on to spawn two more sequels. Anybody remember what they're called? No, it was uh, Shaft's Big Score and Shaft in Africa, actually, Mr. Smarty Pants. Um, so, yes, it's Kevin Markwick here, trawling through the 1970s. If you are out there, please get in touch. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Kevin Markwick. There's a Kevin Markwick Show Facebook page, which I promise I will go and have a look at, I promise, um, and clean it out, you know, mop the floors and, and make it look a bit respectable uh, and you know it would just be nice to hear from you what you think how's it all going what you're doing this evening do you remember going to the cinema in the 70s part of it is that you know uh, those of you that don't know I actually run and my family have run the cinema in Upfield since 1964 so I have all the records and I have all the memories and I have all the uh, horror stories uh, that, that I can add a little bit of local colour if you get the idea okay so uh, 1971 actually saw the scourge of what would become the TV spin-off. Uh, by the time we got to the end of the decade, the British film industry had debased itself in front of pretty much every crappy sitcom on the box. Uh, most were plain awful, some were okay. Uh, everything from Man About the House to Porridge got a feature film. Uh, the first one was, or the first big one actually, the first big success was Dad's Army which is actually not a bad film. It, you know, it, had, it still had a bit of integrity at that point. Uh, the novelty of seeing the much-loved home guard of Warmington-on-Sea on the big screen drew huge audiences. Uh, Dad's Army played in Upfield on April the 25th, 1971, for seven days, 2,190 admissions. Although, actually, from this point onwards, the, the quality would just go down. <laughs> Kidding, Mr. Hitler, if you think we're on the run We are the boys who will stop your little game We are the boys who will make you think again Cos who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Hitler If you think old England's done Mr. Brown goes off to town on the A21 But he comes home each evening and he's ready with his gun So watch out, Mr. Hitler, you have met your match in us If you think you can crush us, we're afraid you've missed the bus Cos who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Hitler? If you think old England's done 
there, Bud Flanagan. Uh, Dad, you know, you all know that one, Dad's Army. Um, which actually, I don't think they played in the film until the end credits when they were all listening on the downs because they thought they could hear the Germans digging. <laughs> um, okay, uh, is it break time yet? No, I've got to try and keep on track because it's 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 been quite a lot of waffle getting this one together. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start this one going here. Listen. Seventy-one uh, is a tough year, actually. Uh, there were some great films lurking around, but quite a lot of them wouldn't come out until 1972 in the UK. Like French Connection and things, which we'll deal with next week. And then by the time they came down the so-called railway line, it was Uckfield. Great piles of films have been mostly forgotten, actually. Um, who remembers Summer of 42? It was massive. According to Wikipedia, it was the sixth highest grossing film of 1971. And one of the most successful films in history, basically because it cost three and six to make. I've never actually seen it, if I'm honest. There's a few this week I haven't seen. I was eight! As the show goes on, actually, or, uh, or the weeks go on, if you stick with me, the memories will get clearer. Some of them may get messier, but they'll definitely get clearer. Anyway, maybe I should go and look at it, actually, because it's a bittersweet coming-of-age romance about a younger man and an older woman. Well, that ship has sailed. You get it. The score by Michel Legrand, which we are, as we DJs now uh, call, a bed. Oh, see, this is a bed. Uh, I'm playing, uh, won the Academy Award, actually. So I should be a little more respectful. me down a bit okay i've got to go to a break now and when we come back uh walt disney makes uh, i believe their first appearance ladies and gentlemen did you know that Suncrush, your favorite orange drink is in this cinema now it's in a lovely container you can see through so you know when it's time to buy some more ha ha Suncrush is on sale now kevin markwick well little lady let me elucidate here Everybody wants to be a cat Because the cat's the only cat Who knows where it's at Tell me everybody's picking up on that feline beat Cause everything else is obsolete Strictly high button shoes Square with a horn makes you wish you weren't born Every time it plays But 
with a square in the act, you can set music back. Do the game and bass, da 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 I've heard some corner birds who tried to sing. Still a cat's the only cat who knows how to swing. Oh, it's no dick, long head dick, stuff like that. When everybody wants to be a cat. A square with a horn makes you wish you weren't born. Every time he plays, oh, a rinky-tinky-tinky with a square in the act. You can set music back to the caveman days. Oh, a rinky-tinky-tinky. Everybody wants to be a cat. Because a cat's the only cat who knows where it's at. When playing jazz, you always has a welcome mat. wants to be a cat obviously fantastic that doesn't seem to age actually that was um that bit was actually the changeover have i ever explained changeovers to you (laughs) 
that was the end of reel two, I believe. Because uh, when I first started showing films, actually, they, you, you couldn't run the whole film in one go, so you had to change from one projector to the other. And reels lasted about 20 minutes, so something like Aristocats had five reels in it. And then uh, you had to change from one reel to the next. And some of you may even remember the little cues in the top right-hand corner. For uh, the first cue, you'd start the projector and you'd open up the dowser, which is the bit that lets the light through. And then on the second cue, you would snap the shutter down on one projector and up on the other. And you didn't even notice in the auditorium. <laughs> so uh, that's where the end of reel two was, the fade out and then change over uh, uh, to reel three. There, that was interesting, wasn't it? So um, everybody wants to be a cat from the hugely successful Walt Disney animated film Aristocats. Uh, it's difficult to imagine now, but a new Disney animated feature was a big deal, actually. They only appeared every few years. Um, previous Disney cartoon was The Jungle Book. Uh, so that was a, what, a four-year gap. Um, they were also the only ones making them. So these days we're used to cartoons every few months, but not then. Uh, Aristocats was released in the UK on the 28th of December 1970 and finally made its way around to Oakfield on August the 8th, 1971. 3,379 emissions, which is a pretty big week. So it must have been raining in August 1971. Uh, but it would play on and on forever until... Um, they went and sold the family silver by putting them on videotape. Uh, we were still playing Mary Poppins in the in the late eighties. You know, uh, you could play them and play them anyway. Uh, which brings us to a bit of a box office stinker, actually. Um, at least Arkville wise, uh, it's quite interesting. This one, I think, uh, it was a big, expensive historical epic called Cromwell with Richard Harris and Alec Guinness, who played Charles the Second. Don't do your. Um, don't do your Alec Guinness, Kev. Okay, I won't. From the director of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. There, go figure. Um, Ken, what's his name? <laughs> what was his name? Ken, Ken something. Oh, I'll look it up in a minute. Uh, it was one of those big 70mm releases that I was telling you about last week that would take uh, a while to appear outside the West End of London, then into the key cities, and then finally make its way uh, down to Arkfield. So even though it was released in July 1970 in the West End, the premiere in London in July 70, um, it must have still been considered a posh film because we were forced to play it for two weeks, uh, a whole year later, two weeks. You know, it had to be a big film to play two weeks. Uh, that was an unusual state of affairs then. So that late on... And it's interesting because would would he they would like my dad have known the box office was it a disaster nationally? We weren't so obsessed with box office in those days, so you didn't really know. I don't think. Although, funnily enough, the old um, what was it called before Screen International? It was called uh, Kinney Weekly, I think. Cinema and TV Today. That was it. And um, it used to actually it used to show all the grosses from around the country at all the um, key city centre Odeons and ABCs and things, which nobody would ever give that information now. Um, and uh, so, you know, must have known it was a death row. I don't know. Maybe Columbia sort of pressured him into it. I don't know. And you know what? <laughs> I'll never know. Because it did 867 admissions in the first week and 530 admissions in the second week. And I do have a vague memory of it being a dirty word in our house for a few years. Ooh, that was a stinker. Um, and I actually include it because um, 
of the sadly overlooked but actually rather good Oscar-nominated score by Frank Cordell. So here's uh, some of the score for Cromwell.
Frank Cottrell score for Cromwell in uh, 1970 stroke 71. Who knows? I think it's rather good, actually. Um, I don't know. I have seen the film uh, a long time ago. Uh, I think it must have been a favourite of Michael Heseltine's because I do remember the scene where Richard Harris as Cromwell is waving the mace around in Parliament. And I think I may have... Did I say um, Alec Guinness was Charles II? Of course he was Charles I, Kevin. Um, what happens next? Uh, oh, we have to do one of these. And then when we come back... Oh, some really good Cat Stevens uh, Hal Ashby stuff. Now's the time for ice cream. Now, now, now. Now's the time for ice cream. Now, now, now. Cool, cool ice cream. Now's the time for ice cream. Have some now. Kevin Markwick. That's a bingo. <laughs> What you want to if you want Is you can get anything I know we've come a long way We're changing day to day But tell me Where do the children play? children Higher to 
there's no more room up there Will you make us laugh? Will you make us cry? Will you tell us when to live? Will you tell us when to die? Changing day to day Tell me Where do the children play It's Monday night uh, Ackfield FM Kevin Markwick here We're having a trawl through 1971 for the next, uh, what, I've got uh, 12 weeks to go. Uh, what I'm doing, basically, is going through the history of cinema in the 1970s with a particular view from a provincial cinema. So my own cinema, in actual fact, the family cinema. Um, so we've got all the data here. I can, uh, actually, if you go to the website, you can have a look at the webcam and you can see the old books I've got here. Look, with my dad's handwriting in them. And... Uh, the old um, Boots Scribbling Diary from 1971. which has got all the times in it and everything. Um, and, uh, yes, so please do get in touch uh, at Kevin Markwick on Twitter. You can email the studio, studio studio.arkfieldfm.co.uk. If you're out there, get in touch. Let me know how you think it's going. Do you remember the cinema in the 1970s? Do you remember anything about the 1970s? Were you even born in the 1970s? Uh, anyway, that was... Um, Cat Stevens, uh, Where Do the Children Play, as featured on the soundtrack of Hal Ashby's Howled and Maud. Uh, now, Ashby is one of the most fascinating and ultimately sad stories from American cinema in the 1970s. He was a talented editor, a protégé of Norman Jewison. Uh, Ashby actually won the Academy Award in 1968 for cutting Jewison, Jewison's seminal drama In the Heat of the Night uh, with Sidney Poitier. Um, and Jewison actually recognised Ashby's talent and urged him to direct a film himself, which he did in 1970. He made a film called The Landlord, which had the other Bridges in it. What was his name? Bo Bridges. Um, set in a New York t uh, brownstone. About a white guy that buys a brownstone up in uh, uh, uptown New York. He would then go on, on an incredible run. After Harold and Maud, he would direct The Last Detail, Shampoo, Bound for Glory... Um, coming home and being there all of them solid gold classics uh, which we'll, some of them will cover in the coming weeks uh, four of them actually nominated for the Palm Door uh, you know it's extraordinary Shampoo the uh, hairdresser based sex comedy with Warren Beatty and Judy Christie was a massive commercial success and uh, Vietnam vet drama Coming Home would win Oscars for John Voight and Jane Fonda uh, sadly Ashby was um a victim of both drugs and uh, impatient studio executives. He was a real uh, perfectionist, actually. Um, and eventually he would wind up directing TV in the 80s, uh, and despite getting off drugs, I know there's a sad story about him putting a blazer on and cutting his hair and trying to prove everybody that he cleaned up his act, but it was too late. He would die of pancreatic cancer in 1988. Sorry, everyone. Uh, in his pomp, though, there was nothing like him. His films were touching and real, uh, usually about outsiders or travellers. Um, 
characters trying to find a place in a world that didn't understand them. I love all of them, well, most of them, certainly, certainly the 70s ones, but I have a special place in my heart for Harold and Maud. Uh, the story of the death-obsessed young man who finds salvation and meaning in his love affair with 80-year-old uh, Maud. Um, so I'll play you one more Cat Stevens song because Cat Stevens, he asked Cat Stevens if he could use his music in the film and it just fits so perfectly. Uh, and in, this one embodies the message of Harold Maud about uh, living life and not death. Uh, do you know, it never played Upfield until about two months ago when I finally played it uh, to myself. I mean, there was a few of us in there on our Cinephile Sunday, but uh, this is if you want to sing out from Harold Maud. Well, if you want to sing out, sing out And if you want to be free, be free Cause there's a million things to be You know that there are And if you want to live high, live high And if you want to live low, live low Cause there's a million ways to go You know that there are What you want the opportunities are and if you find a new way you can do it today you can make it all true and you can make it undo you see ah it's easy ah you only need to know well, if you want to say yes, say yes And if you want to say no, say no Cause there's a million ways to go You know that there are And if you want to be me, be me And if you want to be you, be you Cause there's a million things to do You know that there are you want the opportunities on and if you find a new way you can do it today you can make it all true and you can make it undo you see ah it's easy ah you only Well, if you want to sing out, sing out And if you want to be free, be free Cause there's a million things to be You know that there are, you know that there are You know that there are, you know that there are You know that there are If you want to sing out uh, by Cat Stevens, as used in Hal Ashby's uh, Harold and Maud. Now, for what it's worth, when I'm asked what my top ten movies are, Harold and Maud is in there. Because it, uh, and it's another one of those films, I saw it when I was probably about 17, 16 or 17. And then you keep going back to it. It's an interesting thing, the older you get, I know if you find this, 
uh, is your favorite film and you get that from it when you're 16 and then you get that from it when you're 26 and then when you're 56 you get something else from it entirely which is the joy of movies I suppose now uh, one of the films remembered most fondly from this period is The Railway Children uh, actor Lionel Jeffries you remember the guy in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang um, off to Africa <laughs> he directed this adaptation of E. Nesbitt's uh, much loved book I think it was a much loved book uh, it's the kind of film we don't see actually enough of anymore, if I'm honest. Um, aimed at families, but not at all condescending. OK, it's tad posh, but you're always going to get that in British films, I'm afraid. Uh, it has a kind of understated charm, mostly led by Jenny Agatha's very calm central performance as the older daughter. I think I believe she'd already done it on TV as well. Um, and it had the big Scottish fellow. He was the dad. And Dinah Sheridan as um, as the mum. And the trains, uh, and the trains. <laughs> I think I wanted to say something about trains because I like trains, me. Um, it was set in Edwardian England uh, and the Waterbury children are forced to move to the country where their father is wrongly imprisoned for selling secrets to the Ruskies. Uh, charming is probably the best word for it and Bernard Cribbins is great as the station master Albert Perks. Uh, again, it's another one was playing all the time through the 70s. Uh, during holiday periods uh, and it's a hard heart really that isn't moved by the end when daddy finally comes home seriously daddy my daddy I mean honestly oh, I'm already getting a bit emotional thinking about it uh, Railway Children uh, was released on the 21st of December so that would have been in the West End 1970 and it played in Uckfield on May the 30th for seven days not the first time it played 1956 admissions and do you know what it was so successful that it actually made its money back in the UK alone. Mm. I don't think that happens anymore, does it? Might do. Nope, don't think it does. Uh, the music score, which is very difficult to get hold of, and I'll play you a bunch of it, I'll play you a bit of it, uh, is by Johnny Douglas. Uh, it has a very nice theme in it that we'll get to eventually after the train comes out the tunnel.
Johnny Douglas's rather, rather nice, actually, score for uh, the Railway Children, very popular in 1971, which is where we are right now. Uh, five film, that one, actually. Uh, although I wouldn't recommend um, taking your knickers off to try and stop a train. Probably a bad idea in this day and age. Um, so we've got to take an ad break now, and when we come back, we're going to have a bit of something else, probably a bit of Monty Python. Hot taste, thrills in one, top of chocolate sundae, it's new, crispy hazelnuts, milky chalk, the dairy ice cream, and a super centre with a toffee taste, top of chocolate sundae, on sale now. Kevin Markwick. Oakfield FM. Yes, a lumberjack, leaping from tree to tree as they float down the mighty rivers of British Columbia. The giant redwood. The larch, the fir, the mighty Scotch pine. What about my bloody parrot? The smell of fresh-cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the lavatory. On Wednesday I go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. He cuts down trees, he eats his lunch, he goes to the lavatory. On Wednesday he goes shopping and has buttered scones for tea. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. I cut down trees, I skip and jump, I like to press wild flowers. I put on women's clothing and hang around in bars. He cuts down trees, he skips and jumps, he likes to press wild flowers. He puts on women's clothing and hangs around in bars. He's a lumberjack and he's okay, he sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I wear a hill, suspend his hand abroad. I wish I'd been a girly, just like my dear papa. I cut down trees, I wear a hill, suspend his hand abroad. I wish I'd been a girly, just like my dear papa. You all know the words to that one, don't you? Uh, Monty Python and the Lumberjack song. So, it wasn't all doom and gloom for fans of quality British comedy in 1971. And now for something completely different was the first feature film made by Monty Python. It was a sort of greatest hits from the TV show. So in that regard, it counts as another TV spin-off, I suppose. Boo. Um... The film was made as an attempt to break the Pythons into the US, which uh, actually at the time it failed. It would be a few years before that happened. Um, and now for something completely different, we'd actually get a new lease of life after Monty Python and the Holy Grail became such a big hit in 1975. So everybody rushed out and booked uh, completely different, often as a second feature to uh, Blazes Saddles it would play with quite often, um, one or two others. Uh, yeah, and it would play Uckfield actually two days here and there over the next ten years. Now, so... 
uh, culture lovers, don't don't strangle me. I'm going to play. Uh, this is going a bit hardcore now. Are you ready? Because uh, we own all Ken Russell. not really Richard Chamberlain playing is it very spirited rendition of the Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto number one so the 70s was also the time of Ken Russell in his pomp last week we talked about women in love which had been a big critical and box office hit and the Music Lovers was released in 1971 to further acclaim, it says here. I'm not sure it was everyone's cup of tea. I couldn't find it in the book until 72, which was a shame. Oh, that's a bit from the film. Someone's arriving on a horse and, uh, uh, you know, snowy thing. What do they call it? Uh, sleigh ride. Uh, it was a typically bonkers exploration of the life and loves of Russian composer Peter Tchaikovsky, uh, featuring great performances from Richard Chamberlain. Probably, is it his best one? How many great ones were there from Richard Chamberlain? Thornbirds, was that a good one? The Last Wave. No one ever mentions The Last Wave anymore. Uh, that was Peter Weir, wasn't it? But that, I believe, was the 80s, so we'll have no going there. Um, and Glenda Jackson... Uh, as his nymphomaniac wife. Uh, I, was she nominated for an Oscar? I think she was probably nominated for everything at some point or another. It was a remarkably... I think they call it brave performance, don't they? However, 1971 saw the release of what was arguably his masterpiece. Um, and uh, probably my favourite, The Devils. Uh, it's a toss-up between that and Tommy. The Devils. I'm going with The Devils. Uh, set in 17th century France, it tells the apparently true tale of an unorthodox priest who falls from power and is ultimately executed for witchcraft. Uh, it caused a sensation, uh, not least with the UK censor. I mean, all sorts of mad scenes in it. Um, possessed nuns rolling around with nucleus on... Um, uh, it was banned in several... It was about more than that, to be fair. That's not why I like it. What are you thinking of me? Goodness me. Um, yeah, so I think it went back several times to the centre and they still couldn't get it right. Um, and it was banned by local authorities in the UK. Now, the story I heard when I was a kid was that we always did really well with it because it was banned by Thomas Wells and it was banned by Eastbourne. 
and banned by Brighton and banned everywhere else. So, uh, but that was the story I was told. But I can't find it in the book. I can't find it in 71 and I can't find it in 72. So either my dad was being fanciful or remembered it wrongly. Uh, but I'm going to find it at some point because it was it kind of loomed large. I don't know. Funny, really. Uh, it's a brilliant film. Seriously. Uh, actually, the video version that you can get now is the US version, which is a shame because that's three minutes shorter than the original cut that... Uh, Russell got passed by the censor. Uh, it's about the absurdity and double standards of organised religion that leads to sickening violence and murder. Uh, the repression of sexuality and the lack of freedoms are all part, are all what this film is about. Uh, and it's sort of wrapped up in Catholic guilt. Russell was a was a Catholic, brought up a Catholic, and um, that comes into his films a lot. Um, with sets by Derek Jarman, actually. These bonkers, great big sets. I think it must have been his most expensive film as well. Um, it's, it's really striking. You've never seen anything like it. Um, Oliver Reed, uh, Vanessa Redgrave, and a whole host of British character actors. Most extraordinary. Warner Brothers still won't go near it. It's, it's toxic as far as they're concerned. Uh, I wish they'd released the uncut version. There's always pressure to put, uh, put the uncut version out. But still, they haven't done it. We had this last week, didn't we, with them? Uh, performance. They, they they decided that was toxic. See? That's the studios for you. Nothing, nothing. Um, anyway, absolutely loved it. The score uh, is by uh, the rather high-end posh classical composer Peter Maxwell Davis, who was attracted to the medieval themes and uh, stuff. And it really captures the menace and medieval nature of the film perfectly. Now, I'm telling you now, it's quite hardcore. So are you ready for four minutes and 37 seconds of uh, a snatch of Peter Maxwell Davis's, I think, rather wonderful score? for the devils.
part of Peter Maxwell Davis's score for The Devils. You can't say you don't get a bit of everything on this show, do you? You can't say that. From Thomas O'Malley and the Aristocats to Peter Maxwell Davis, uh, medieval music for Ken Russell's The Devils. Uh, I love that. You can buy the CD if you like. <laughs> no thanks, Kev, that's fine. Um, now, more top draw cinema, top draw British cinema. Uh, Mike Hodges' Get Carter was a little bit underappreciated at the time, actually. It's difficult to believe that now. Uh, in fact, uh, he must have been long-fingering it, which is a technical cinema term, uh, for uh, quite some time, because it played on September the 7th, finally. It was released early 1971, and it only, only garnered uh, 454 admissions in five days. Now, this is in the days when... We would split the week quite often, five days, two days, two days Sunday and a five day, two and a five, I believe it was called, um, because he would never play two Sundays the same. I'm going to save that story because we can pro probably make a whole show about Sunday one days, actually, some absolutely insane stuff. Um, and actually, uh, it's now an acknowledged classic. Uh, as I'm sure you know, a hard-bitten British crime thriller with Michael Caine doing his steely hard man to perfection. Um, I'm not going to do the. Am I going to do the Michael Caine impression? No, let's not do it. You know, you're a you're a big man, but you're out of shape. With me, it's a full-time job. There, look, I did it without doing the impression. Uh, and it's another example of uncompromising filmmaking, like Ken Russell, in an increasingly overwhelming tide of appalling British-made product. Uh, Get Carter was grown-up stuff. You know what? It's amazing we're still here, really. Uh, the score by Re, Re, the score by Roy Budd is equally iconic.
There he is, arriving in Newcastle from London. And it all gets rather nasty. Roy Budd's uh, music for Get Carter from 1971. Now, I think I can uh, squeeze another one in, which, given what's coming up after the break, is exactly the right thing to say. Uh, let me see if I can find the right script. Oh, I can't. I'm going to play the music from One Eight Bells Toll, actually. Uh, one of the films uh, I remember fondly, um, Aston McLean was a big thing in those days. There seemed a film based on one of his books every five minutes. Where Eagles Dare, Puppet on a Chain, Ice Station Zebra. I think you could probably name some more. Um, the list is actually endless. As a kid, I love this one. Uh, it's an oddly sort of kind of dour, slightly dour adventure set in a rainy and cold north of Scotland about smuggling and stuff. Um, and it was an attempt, an odd sort of an attempt to turn Anthony Hopkins into a James bond style movie hero. Maybe they were trying to line him up to take over from Connery. Difficult to say. It played seven days, July the 11th, 861 admissions, £234.85. We'd obviously gone decimal by that point. Uh, and the score was great fun, real kind of 70-star score. So we'll have that up to the up to the um, break. And when we come back, we got a bit of Willy Wonka. And talking of Willy Wonkers, we've also got a bit of Carry On. Thank you. 
small pleasures Who would deny us these? Gin toddies, large measures No skimping if you please I rough it, I love it Life is a game of chance I never tire of it Leading a merry if you don't mind having to go without things, it's a fine life. It's a fine life. Though it ain't all jolly old pleasure ridings, it's a fine life. It's a fine life. When you've got someone to love, you forget your care and strife. Let the broods look down on us, let the wide world frown on us, it's a fine, fine life. It's a fine, fine life. No flounces, no feathers, no frills and furry lows. What future, what masses We've got our bed and board If you don't mind having to deal with Fagin It's a fine life It's a fine life Though diseased rats threaten to bring the plague in It's a fine life It's a fine life And the grass is green and dense On the right side of the fence So we take good care of it That we get our share of it And we don't need fence If you don't mind having to lie for long me are the likes of such as me mine's a fine fine the wonderful shaney wallace uh from oliver of course exclamation mark it's a fine life another um another <laughs> Uh, it was a massive film version of Lionel Bart's world-beating stage musical, um, directed by Sir Carol Reed, he of The Third Man and uh, Odd Man Out and all that good British stuff. Uh, it's another one of those films that took forever to get to Uckfield. Uh, the West End premiere, would you believe, was in September 1968, and it played Uckfield in July 1971. Uh, and again, it was a two-week booking, so it was a big picture, Columbia Pictures. Again. There's a theme here, isn't there? Conwell's Columbia. 
Maybe their uh, tactics were a little, uh, you know, heavy-handed. Not for me to say, I can't remember. Um, I was eight, as I keep reminding you. Uh, 71? No, I was nine. I've been lying to you for nearly two hours. Well, I was eight in uh, July. I was nine in the October 1971. Uh, 1,072 admissions the first week, 1,604 the second week. That would be because it had full seven days the second week. Remember the rule that we can't have two Sundays the same. So I can't, I haven't actually got, I could look it up in the book, but it was something a bit weird, like Taste the Blood of Dracula or something on the Sunday. Maybe wasn't that, because I'd have mentioned that, because that's a great movie. But can you imagine the poverty of having to watch two-year-old films? Shocking, really, isn't it? Anyway, uh, there was another musical that arrived in 1971. Uh, it came out in 71. It played in 71. So, you know, we're on we're on message here. And it would take a while to become uh, the popular cult hit that it did. Oh, here we go. That was a bit previous. You'll recognise it as soon as it gets going. your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin. Traveling in the world of my creation, what we'll see will defy explanation. If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it Want to change the world There's nothing to it Hurry up, pilot! This way, Grandpa! No life I know to compare with pure imagination Living there you'll be free If you truly wish to be Do it 
want to change the world, there's nothing to win. I know to compare with your imagination living there you'll be free if you truly wish to Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It was a big flop, actually, on its release. <laughs> it had a... Uh, don't, don't... No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> flop, Willy Wonka, I don't know, whatever. Uh, it, it would play matinees, actually, only at various points over the 70s. It, sort of, uh, it was always a handy one to uh, stick in. <sighs> and in truth, it didn't become much, the much-loved film it is now until it was on TV. Uh, repeatedly, they used to play it on TV a lot, and that's kind of where it, it, it now resides in people's uh, fond imagination. Uh, it still has charm to burn, of course, and Gene Wilder was perfect as Wonka, uh, with his sort of slightly otherworldly misdemeanor. Uh, misdemeanor, demeanor. Uh, this is all going horribly wrong, isn't it? I tell you what, let's go back to the smut now. <laughs> Please. Yes, everyone's at it these days. The birds, the bees, and those hilarious carry-on characters. Why don't you go down front, sir? You'll see better. In the most laughable love-in of a lifetime. I have to vet him, don't I? Vet? Oh, Is that the new word for it? I can't fix them up with the right partners until I find out what they do. And how. They live. Mm -hmm. Like the young widow at the tobacconist. You must have vetted her at least 50 times. Mm. Mm. Oh, good. Company. Oh, I'm fed up with this. I might as well be back home. Peter Rogers and Gerald Thomas invite you to carry on loving. We'll be bloody lucky if we do, mate. Because love, they say, makes the world go round and round and round. And breaking all the rules of the mating game are Sidney James as Sidney Bliss, whose approach to women is wet but very effective. Have you wet your trousers? Eh? Oh. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, I went in feet first, didn't I? And my shirt. Then we'd better have it off, hadn't we? Kenneth Williams has Percival Snooper, an expert on the ups and downs of married life. Well, Henry, you heard Mr Snooper's advice. Do you think we should try it? If you want to, Emily, but personally, I don't think a pair of steps is going to be the answer. Charles Hawtrey as James Bensop, a very special investigator. Joan Sims as Esme Crowfoot. She falls for men in a big way, just as they do for Hattie Jakes. Don't be a please come back. Bernard Breslau as Gripper Burke, an all-in wrestler who's... You get the idea. <laughs> You've heard it all before, the trailer for Carry On Loving, which had uh, started the year off in Upfield on January the 31st for seven days. 1,209 admissions. £318, four shillings and sixpence. Which means we couldn't have decimalised at that point. When did we decimalise? 
sometime in 1971. In truth, the carry-ons have peaked in 1969 with carry-on camping, you know, the one with Fedoin where a bra comes off. Um, that was huge, actually. They, <laughs> the business. <laughs> it's like some kind of osmosis. As soon as you start talking about this kind of stuff, uh, none of them would ever match the box office heights of that one. And uh, But they were still a staple out here in provincial land. It wasn't even the uh, only new carry-on that year. In September, the rot started to well and truly set in with carry-on Henry, uh, the one that uh, I believe the poster said he's really handy with his chopper. Yes, thank you. Uh, that was actually the first truly awful carry-on, um, although this one, Cameron Loving, was a much cop. Uh, but the old ones continued to fill the schedule from time to time. Carry-on up the jungle played in May. Carry-on again, Doctor played two days in August. However... Uh, and this is in no way depressing. The biggest uh, British film of the year, beating all before it, was On the Buses. Yep, the biggest British film of the year. The year we had Walkabout and... The Devils. I, of course, it's going to be more popular than those films. It was the first of three spin-offs, actually, from the rather grubby TV show that featured leering the ugly men and birds in short skirts. So why not take a look around you? Reg Varney, who was actually only about three years younger than Doris Hare, who played his mum. Oh, young man! It's actually pretty much unwatchable now, I think. Unless you disagree, please let me know if you do disagree. I'd like to hear your uh, opinion of why On the Buses is a British film classic. But in 1971, it was packing them in. Is that snooty of me? I don't think so. It actually nearly ruined us. Cinemas were really starting to suffer from underinvestment at that point. And uh, UK production outfits like EMI were going for easy wins by making this kind of rubbish. Although On the Buses, oddly, was actually a Hammer film. It didn't get much better. You know, there were even uh, films of Father, Dear Father. Who even remembers that? Please, sir. I think that was next year. There's always gay life on the buses. Make sure you leave your birth. I think they're running the TV show on Dave right now. If you go to my blog, actually, I wrote about this, how we nearly utterly, utterly destroyed not only films but cinemas with this kind of tosh. It's so romantic. You know, in the 70s in, in the UK, uh, in the US, we were getting Francis Coppola, Martin Scorsese. And you can get it. And we were getting Are You Being Served? Upstairs or down inside. Which is fine on the TV, but it's not a cinema, is it? Oh, it's a great life on the buses. No anyway, so it played on August the 29th, 1971. Seven days, 1,864 admissions. The only anomaly was there were 70 people on Saturday, which took me a while to work out, and then I realised it was the carnival. Where uh, actually my dad would just capitulate and close. Anyway, let's have a break, uh, and when we come back, uh, some other stuff. <laughs> I'm running so horribly over. I've got to work out in uh, two minutes and fifty-one seconds what I'm going to play next. 
Kevin Markwick. A better variety of music. Name, Kowalski. Occupation, driver. Transporting a supercharged Dodge Challenger from Denver to San Francisco. Background, Medal of Honor in Vietnam. Former stock and bike racer. Former cop, dishonorably discharged. Now he uses speed to get himself up, to get himself gone. Everybody's after Kowalski. Because you think we're queers. For one reason or another. Is there something I can do for you? Well, like what? Like anything you want. Everybody wants a piece of his hide. Maybe kill somebody. Maybe stole that big dude of his. Maybe both. Now, this is a cool film. They want to get him and put him away, but they'll have to catch him first. Yeah. Morning, this is yours truly, super, super soul. I so wanted to see this. But I believe it was an ex certificate, so I wasn't allowed. <laughs> Vanishing point. It was a Petrolhead Road movie that's so 1971. It played on November the 14th for seven whole days, which is actually odd because it's more like a sort of one day, two day thing. The vicious You know, the Easy Riders and the um, Hells Angels on wheels and that kind of stuff. All the Petrolhead stuff used to do really well on Sundays. Uh, Barry Newman plays a driver who has to deliver a 1970 Dodge Challenger. Ends up being chased by everybody, the bad guys, the cops. Uh, it was actually a triumph of stunt driving, predating all of that um, Hal Needham stuff. Uh, it was tremendous fun. And the wide open spaces were brilliantly photographed by John Alonso. And it has a fantastic rock soundtrack. It was no actual score, it just has this uh, sort of mad bonkers soundtrack on the radio um and this is mississippi queen by mountain nope i'd never heard of them either
Mountain. Mississippi Queen. That's very groovy from the soundtrack of the uh, Petrolhead motion picture uh, entertainment, uh, Vanishing Point, which is tremendous fun. There's a whole kind of subgenre of these uh, Petrolheady movies. Tulane Blacktop. Uh, Dirty Mary Crazy Larry. That was a good one. That comes a bit later down the line with. Um, uh, Peter Fonda and Susan George, I believe. Right, you're listening to Kevin Markwick. I don't believe, I know it's Susan George. Uh, it's Uckfield FM, Monday night. Uh, we're going through 1971, viewed through the, let's face it, worm's eye view of the Picturehouse Cinema in Uckfield and my own slightly jaundiced memory. Now, I'm not pretending this is in any way scholarly, because <laughs> it isn't, and it's not definitive either. So it's just me remembering and um looking up the old books and looking up you know what films came out because cinema being the single greatest invention of all time uh i'm trying to uh just give you a, a flavor of it uh well no you know what it is um so if you're out there and you went to the cinema in the 70s if you were out there and you didn't go to the cinema in the 70s if you're out there and you went to uh, the Picture House in Oxford in the 70s, I'd love to hear from you. Um, now, we haven't been able to cover everything, of course, because, uh, and actually, there was a bit of a struggle to fill some of the stuff because uh, it was a funny old year. Because the official top 10 uh, continue contains stuff that we'll be talking about maybe next week Fiddle on the Roof, Diamonds Are Forever, French Connection, Dirty Harry. So, because remember, again, the films were very late in the UK. They were often six or eight months behind the US release. Easy to forget that in these days of almost instantaneous releases where we see them in the US and the UK, in fact, globally at the same time. In those days, it was very different. Uh, even Clockwork Orange turned up quite a lot later in the UK. But other films in 71 that we should mention, uh, The Last Picture Show, what an amazing film. One of my top ten films, uh, Peter Bogdanovich's uh, extraordinary uh, film, which we showed a few weeks ago. Uh, Bananas, the Woody Allen comedy. Uh, Le Mans, we played that. Uh, I remember loving that when I was a kid. I saw that. We used to have a cinema in uh, Seaford, would you believe? And that's where I saw Le Mans. Uh, so also oh, the Andromeda Strain, that was a good one. Uh, so what am I going to do? My, my timings are right up the swanee. So I'm slightly making it up as I go along now. So I thought what I'd do is I'd play you um, Walkabout, actually. Um, a wonderful film by Nick Rogue, uh, Jenny Agata again, uh, about two uh, school children who get abandoned uh, by their uh, father in the outback, and they end up uh, wandering around the outback. Um, and it never actually played uh, in, the, uh, in Uckfield, unfortunately, as far as I can see. Um, and Nick Rogue being one of the great directors of the 70s, and we'll keep coming back to him as well. Uh, they, they hook up with this young Aboriginal boy uh, in an ultimately sad story. Um, and, of course, uh, it has a score by John Barry. And, again, John Barry is another one we're going to keep coming back to because he's absolutely the greatest. Uh, this is his theme from Walkabout in 
John Barry's uh, score for Walkabout in 1971, the year we are exploring right now. Uh, rather nice, mate. <laughs> Uh, that was actually Nick Rogue's first film as a solo director. Remember last week we talked about Performance, which he directed with Donald Camel. This was uh, his first film as uh, a solo director in Australia. Right, we are going to take a break. It's almost over, bar the shouting. Uh, and then when we come back, I'm going to put some music on. May we remind you that for the convenience of those patrons who prefer not to smoke... Seating areas on the right-hand side of this auditorium have been designated as no-smoking areas. Your cooperation is appreciated. Kevin Markwick. There we are. It's pretty much over bar the shouting. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, and if you're listening to the podcast, hello. <laughs> I'm in your ear. I saw that thing about whispering videos the other day. There, anyway, let's not get into that. Um, and so thank you for listening on the podcast. Thank you for listening live on the show. If you are listening, please do get in touch. Let me know what you think. Uh, anything you'd like to sort of chip in about the 1970s. Uh, it would be really good to hear from you. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter any time of the day or night, at Kevin Markwick on Twitter. You can... Um, you can get me on the uh, studio at arcfieldfm.co.uk while we're on the air. You can uh, even see the back of my head and my rather sexy new headphones. Anyway, 1972 next week. Are you looking forward to that? Because I certainly am. Um, and here's something nice. Uh, one of the scores nominated at the Oscars in 1970 uh, was for a, an Italian film called Sunflower, directed by Maestro Vittoria De Sica. One of the great neo-realist directors who did uh, Bicycle Thieves. I'd never heard of it and never seen it. And it has the very Italian pairing of Marcello Mastroianni and Sofia Loren. It was apparently the first Western movie to be filmed in the USSR. Uh, so I thought I'd play the score by, uh, oddly, Henry Mancini. So I'll leave you with this. Rather pleasant, slightly elevator. But hey, it's mainstream music in the 1970s. What do you expect? I'll see you next week. I love you all. Bye. Mm -hmm. 